Thank you to Surf Prep and our patrons for sponsoring this episode. As always, I'll give a shout out to our top tier patrons at the end of the episode. If you want to be part of the Maker Lounge podcast community, head over to patreon.com slash Maker Lounge podcast. You can watch these episodes on YouTube on Thursdays, or you can sign up to be a Patreon member and it drops on Wednesdays. Welcome to The Lounge. I'm Matt with Boltner Woodworking and your host of the Maker Lounge podcast, where every Friday we have a rotating group of makers hanging out and talking shop with each other. He's the guy that likes to challenge the status quo with his intriguing titles and thumbnails, flex his sharp chisels, and loves the color purple. <laughs> Not the movie. You may have heard him talk about his custom Coca Bolo handled tools in last year's holiday hangout episode and his unique ability to do weird flexes. But this episode, we'll try to see how many times I can get him to say the word YouTube. Suman Sarker with Woodcraft by Suman is in the lounge. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah. Now I'm going to have to be very conscientious of how many times I say the word, you know, that word. Wait, what? I'm sorry, which word? YT. <laughs> uh, I'll be ready for you. Oh, what, what's the what's the word for what's the word for YouTube in Bengali? It's probably the same. I YouTube. I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah. But but with an accent or something, right? YouTube. So yeah. Before we get to the episode today, I want to thank our sponsor, Surf Prep Sanding. Whether you're looking for the highest quality of sanders, dust extractors, or abrasives, Surf Prep has what you need to take your project to the next level. I've been using Surf Prep for a couple of years now and know firsthand the quality of their products. The amazing family who stands behind their brand is by far the best in the industry. Use code MAKERLOUNGE, all one word, for 10% off your order at surfprepsanding.com. English is... like that? <laughs> so, uh, English is not your first language. It is not, no. Is that right? Yeah. So is it Bengali? It's Bengali, It is right? Bengali. Mm -hmm. See? I do my homework. <laughs> I don't know where you got that information from. It wouldn't be easily available, so uh, you do creepy uh, <laughs> homework. <laughs> right, right. Well, I do know that you studied uh, molecular genetics and biochemistry. Shh, you did look at my resume. <laughs> we won't get into that boring stuff. <laughs> Oh, but Wood, Woodcraft by Suman, that's the, that's the channel name on YouTube and, mm -hmm. and Instagram. And, uh, so before you started that, you are working, f this isn't your full-time thing. Correct. This is very much a part-time passion. Yeah. And the, the goal is to just continue sourcing this hobby with the full-time job, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know a lot of folks in the creative space have aspirations to, you know, use their creative outlet as a way to go into it full time and, and escape their day job. But I really don't have any desire to escape my day job. I, I like it quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. I, there, there's a lot of people who uh, do this, I think, just starting off and then they kind of get into it. And then they're like, oh, man, it's nice not having to, you know, deal with bosses and stuff like that. But then they find out that you know, YouTube becomes their boss or <laughs> you become your own boss and yeah. they don't have any, you know, structure, guidance or professionalism to, to themselves. So yeah, it can be yeah. a lot emotionally. So, mm -hmm. and then, you know, having uh clients and, and doing commission work, you've got, you know, people in 
saying, oh, you know, this, this broke, this wood split or something like that. Come back and fix it. You know, it's just. Right. <laughs> so it's, oh, it's that, nice to have I that. I feel like, yeah, I feel like being a content producer, creator is one thing. Being an actual maker and a person who produces goods to sell like woodworking products that's a whole nother ball game man i mean you need to have so many different skill sets and so much probably more tool to increase efficiency and all of that you know for right. people like us we care more about increasing efficiency and in how we record things our workflow and file storage and stuff like that, <laughs> that <laughs> are, you know those are the challenges of a content uh, creator and so in that regard it's pretty nice challenges uh, relative to now you have to spend the time away to fix that project that didn't go right. Right. Yeah, we spend our weekends uh, half the time working on file management and getting B-roll shots put into the right, right. folders. And <laughs> yeah, it, they're truly the first world problems of, uh, of problems. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you have a, a new baby girl. How old is she now? She is going to be 15 months soon. Oh, my goodness. Seems like it was, she was just born. Yeah. It's crazy. I know. Time Now my, my daughter's and she's 12. Wow. It's, it's going fast. Mm -hmm. Uh, so she's, she's your little shop helper. Yeah. She actually (laughs) does all of the work. I mean, she's the person behind the camera the whole time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be woodcraft by her before long. (laughs) I, I think she has aspirations of taking over my channel someday. I, I can see it. She's she's definitely better looking than you are. Uh, so, <laughs> oh man, I might have to ask my wife if I had any role in her looks. <laughs> yeah, I just realized as I was saying that it's like sounds really creepy, like creepy old man. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, we're we're friends, right? So in that capacity, it's not creepy yeah. at all. Now, if I was on this podcast yeah. and you were somebody I didn't know and you said that for the first time, like, okay, let's see, let's let's backtrack. This guy went and reviewed my resume, <laughs> and now he's telling me my fifteen-month-old right. daughter is cute. Okay, yeah, let's <laughs> let's continue being on that podcast. <laughs> yeah, and your address is no, I, yeah, right. I didn't go that far. <laughs> I mean, you're not that easy to research. Uh, yeah, I do like to do the research, but you and I, like you said, we're friends. We we talk outside of this, and um, but you do have the most basic link tree ever. Uh, that I've seen. Yes. It's yep. like, here's my two things that, and so very focused, not like mine where there's like, go check out this latest thing or that latest yeah. <laughs> shiny toy. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it, it, part of that is sheer laziness. Uh, <laughs> and part of it is <laughs> there's really only thing, two things that I care about. Right. Uh, and the biggest yeah. of it is directing the folks from Instagram to YouTube. If, they are interested in that. Um, so I wanted them to have a quick and easy way to get to that you know, space. But beyond that, a lot of times I get questions about the products that I use in my shop. And so I have an Amazon storefront where all of the products that I actually use in my shop, not all of them, but you know, a good amount of them that is available yeah. through Amazon are there so that you can browse and see if it's something of interest. I know a lot of folks like to recommend products. But for me, right. the products I recommend are products that I generally use. Um, so it's a good place to just kind of house all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I find that when I pass on a, an affiliate link or something like that through Instagram, those don't usually work too well, but Amazon always seems to work. And, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't understand why that is, why there's such a barrier 
for somebody clicking on a link in Instagram to take them to a third party website and maybe just something because if they don't have a, a an account set up with that third party, then there's that whole setup thing. I, oh, no, I don't, it's, yeah. it's a lot more simple than that. Instagram doesn't want you to leave their platform. Right. <laughs> it's that right. simple. Yeah. <laughs> yep, exactly. Which is why the the YouTube thing never really pans out, and people stopped, I think, putting links to their YouTube like videos mm-hmm. that we used to all do it. I think you know, po- post a story with a link to your YouTube, and then you yeah. get thirty seconds of watch time. <laughs> there used to be like a swipe up feature uh, on Instagram where you could just swipe up and it'll take you to the link. That disappeared as well. Um, but I think you know, in terms of directing folks from Instagram space to YouTube. It's it's something that I avoid doing because, like you mentioned, the folks on Instagram are a completely different audience, generally speaking, uh, than the folks on YouTube. And their attention spans and what they're looking to get from that content creator specifically is different, too. So me posting a link to a long format video in a short format platform just doesn't make sense. Right. Um, but if somebody clicks on my link tree and then goes to my YouTube because they want to know more that is probably the kind of audience member that I do want on YouTube. And so in that case, it's available to them to to jump on. It's the same reason why I would never post uh, my YouTube videos when I publish it. it I let it ride on YouTube and let YouTube right. do its thing. Right. Yeah, I remember uh, when you did your last video, you didn't even tell me you, you published it. And I was, and <laughs> I think we had talked like the day before. Yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, and I think I saw it like day two or three. I was like, oh, he put out his video. So that's because you but, probably wouldn't watch it the whole way. That's why I didn't share the link with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm actually one of the few people who will, unless the video really sucks. So, well, yeah, never mind. You're right. <laughs> uh, no, but unless the video really sucks, I watch the video all the way through. Um, that's I, sometimes I make a comment about like the last few lines of a video. Mm-hmm. I, I guess it's just a matter of I like to see the whole process. If if it's captivated me enough to stay halfway through, then I feel like it, and part of that is because I know how the algorithm works mm-hmm. in that regard. That's the only thing that I understand about the algorithm. <laughs> you know that because we've talked. At yeah, length. <laughs> that's, I think it's very nice of you to do that. And, and there is another element to it, I would say. And that is, if you're watching the content of a creator, you're not watching the content necessarily for enjoyment, though that may be a part of it. Um, it's There's a good chance you're trying to study that content, right? At least mm-hmm. implicitly in the back of your mind. As a content creator, you, you just do that, right? Um, right? So there's reason to watch that through and try to make sense of what may have worked and what may not have worked. So certainly, uh, you know, there, there are some contents that I will watch for that purpose, uh, even right. though the nature of the video is not necessarily something that's targeted towards me as an audience. Right. Yeah. I think there are a few creators who I watch just for the entertainment purposes, like Peter McKinnon. I watch mm-hmm. for the entertainment purpose, you know, because I'm not super into cameras or, you know, whatever, but his way of delivery and stuff just is captivating. And so he's one that I just watch for entertainment purpose, but most of the people that I follow, I watch because yeah, I'm studying what they have to do or, or mm-hmm. maybe there's an idea for a future video or something. No, exactly right. And somebody like Peter McKinnon is an easy person to watch because he's a beautiful man, but also uh, because he's just a very charismatic guy that can capture you in with his storytelling. 
And that right. is a skill set that not a lot of creators have, uh, but a lot of the very, very successful creators do have that skill set of just storytelling and captivating an audience. Um, yeah. There is a book that I should read. <laughs> a friend of mine recommended... <laughs> Are you going to recommend a book you haven't read? <laughs> so it's it's called Hook Point. Um, I was told to oh, buy that book. I've started yeah. it. Yeah, I've bought it. I've I read it. maybe the first two paragraphs. I took it with me to WorkbenchCon and I thought I'm going to read this on the plane ride. It didn't yeah. happen, uh, but I should probably read that because I think that book covers that a little bit. <laughs> Did Drew Witt tell you about it? Yeah, yeah, it was Drew. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think he tells everybody to to watch that or to read that book. I, yeah. I don't sit and read. Um, there are a few books that I, I will do if they have a lot of visual stuff in it, but that's one I have on Audible. Nice. I started it, but I haven't finished it. But it it's good. Yeah. It's, so the book didn't because, hook you in, huh? Well, I, I started it, but then I started another one. <laughs> <laughs> Just like woodworking projects. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or or YouTube videos. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't know that. I start one and finish it and then go to the next one. <laughs> right. We're get, we'll, we'll get to that. Just, <laughs> just you wait. <laughs> We're going to hear more about this clamp video here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Five years in the making. <laughs> yeah. There'll be a whole new set of clamps by the time you get this video out. <laughs> yep. Yep. Bessie will release a new, t- new type. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the anti-parallel clamp. <laughs> so how did you get into uh all of this how'd you get into the woodworking stuff so it, it's it's kind of i think a lot of folks come into woodworking because they may have purchased a home that needs renovation or needs small things to be done and when you try to coordinate with a contractor you realize how much of a pain it is to do that um mm-hmm. currently i'm trying to coordinate with two different electricians to get some wiring done and my god is it hard to get these people to commit to like doing what they said they would do and so right. in that regard and perhaps financial element of it too um you know folks come in and say okay i'm gonna try buy a miter saw buy a table saw and uh, fix that fix this part of the house for me it was well before i owned a house um my then girlfriend uh you know, and I, we were just kind of walking down and seeing at a, I think it was a farmer's market or craft fair of some kind. And there was this guy selling a bunch of cutting boards and, uh, they all look really nice, but relatively basic because I think he understands his market <laughs> where mm-hmm. he's not going to go fancy with crazy design or, you know, of an end grain cutting board or anything like that. They're relatively basic, but still much prettier than the ones that you could find in stores. Mm-hmm. And so I think he was charging like 120 bucks for an edge grain cutting board. And like, don't get me wrong, nothing wrong with that. To me, I thought at the time, like, that's way too much. Yeah. I can make that. And so, you know, a couple hundred dollars more in tools later, um, <laughs> I made my first cutting board. And um, the utility can, of... I'm laughing because I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> the utility of uh, being able to make something with your hands. And, uh, you know, I used to be, I, I used to do photography a lot more seriously at the time. So having something that's physically tangible and and being able to interact with it and work with your hands, that is an addicting feeling. And so, you know, I continue to make more and more things and then eventually got to this point. Um, But yeah, it started with a cutting board. Yeah. I went back and looked at 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 least the the photos that you still have posted publicly Mm -hmm. uh, and saw that, yeah, you had started with uh, some end grain uh, cutting boards. And then, yeah. uh, so a lot of early, early posts was that, 
some some gardening uh, not gardening but that you were doing some like uh like herbs or something like that i think yeah uh back back when the channel started but doing herbs what was it like (laughs) that sounds sounds way more suspicious than it really is Stay, stay tuned for the after show, people. I'm pretty <laughs> if you, sure. If you want to be part of the were... after show, patreon.com slash podcast. Shameless plug. <laughs> there were basil, probably. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was some greenery. You know, yeah. I, I wasn't too interested in that, so I didn't read any of the captions. <laughs> but you were doing some herbal science. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I so I do enjoy gardening quite a bit. Um, I've gotten more and more into it uh, lately than I have in the past. Uh, little known fact is I grew up in a farm. Um, so when I, I was born in Bangladesh, and we talked about this earlier, uh, and I grew up in rural parts of the country where, you know, farming is just a daily part of life. And that's kind of what you do. And so, um, I mean, I didn't personally get that involved in, in the process because I was a child. But uh so there was always a part of me that always enjoyed the the idea of growing your own food. And so mm-hmm. coming to the U.S., you know, the, the the climate is so different. The soil is so different. And I didn't really know what to make of any of that. Um, but now I've gotten kind of into it. I have a little bit of an um, indoor growing uh, area um, where I can grow herbs like basil. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it's actually the the climate in in the north part of the country. It just got up, up to a point where I think I can comfortably plant things now. So um, tomorrow it actually is gardening day for me to you know put some plants down. Nice, nice. So you uh, you started doing the the cutting boards, but then actually one of your earlier photos was a table that you did with some uh, bow ties or or inlays oh. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So. You kind of like went full steam into into woodworking. Yeah. You didn't. You weren't building pallet furniture and things like that. I mean, this it's a beautiful table that you made. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was our. I think uh, one of our first or maybe second dining table. Um, that one, man. I I remember. But this is this is how things have changed. Mm-hmm. That slab. It's a single piece of slab for a, a reasonably medium to medium large size uh, dining table. I remember buying that slab for three hundred dollars. Wow! And you can't buy that for three times as <laughs> you, much anymore. Yeah, yeah, you can't buy half of that. I mean, you're, yeah, like it's crazy. You right? could maybe make a bench out of that. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it it was from a place where they didn't do kiln drying, and I don't know for one reason or another. And of course, is the case with large slabs; you get cracks everywhere. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I had seen other folks do bow tie and this was like a very new thing to me. And the concept of, you know, basically routing and chiseling a bow tie was like very, very foreign. But I thought, okay, the best way to learn is to just do it. And mm-hmm. by that, I mean, forget the practice. Just mm. just go into it because there's high stakes involved in screwing up a slab like that that costs $300, right? right? And surprisingly, it worked out just fine. I mean, I think woodworking is one of those things where nowadays we watch so many people uh, teach us those things on YouTube space that you learn quite a bit if you're just observant enough. Uh-huh. 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 <laughs> you learn quite a bit. You learn quite a bit on the platform. And uh, so when it is time for you to go and do that thing, I think people are fairly confident as I was in the case and it worked out pretty well. And uh, I've been doing bow ties <laughs> quite a bit since then. <laughs> 
Yeah. So have you actually made a bow tie, uh, a wooden bow tie that you could wear? No, I, you know, it's funny. I really wanted to make one and have it as a bow tie for my wedding or something like that. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm pretty sure it didn't get vetoed per se by my <laughs> wife, but I knew enough to know to not do that. Yeah, don't even go there. <laughs> With that being said, the, um, the tie clip did oh, yeah. have a little Coco Bolo strip on top. So that was See? the only little thing that I got to do. <laughs> and I think her shoes, if I remember correctly, did have a, instead of having a bow, you know, on mm -hmm. the, the front of it, uh, it was a Coco Bolo bow tie. Nice. Yeah. See, nailed the intro with the Coco Bolo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I knew we'd come full circle with that one. Yeah. <laughs> so who was your, uh, who was your inspiration back then? when you were like just getting into woodworking? Um, I think, so I know a lot of folks uh, started out with Steve Ramsey and I certainly watched him quite a bit, um, but his style mm -hmm. of woodworking was predominantly with, uh, you know, dimensional lumber that's available at the home center. Um, you know, your typical pine, spruce and all that stuff. And maybe some of the, you know, yeah. like red oak or white oak or something like that. But generally speaking, he focused very much towards the the construction people that may want to dabble into woodworking or people who are, who can just go buy the wood from the home center. For me, that was never of interest. I mean, it's if I wanted something to be if I want to spend that much time in making something, I always wanted it to be something of nice quality made out of the proper hardwoods and all of that stuff. Uh, not that either is proper or not mm -hmm. proper, but with that being said, um, Mark Spagnolo from the Wood Whisperer was definitely a pretty big inspiration at the time. And I think Matt Cremona as well. Um, Rob Cosman obviously did mm -hmm. some sharpening and got that ingrained in my brain. Um, so those three folks, I think, played the largest role <laughs> at the time. Rob was your gateway. <laughs> Rob was the gateway drug, yeah. Yeah, lots of great inspiration. I think back then when there was... The market wasn't so flooded with, uh, mm -hmm. I mean, this is, you're, we're talking like, what, eight, eight, nine years ago, I think. Something like that, yeah. Mm -hmm. When you started doing this, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was just starting to kind of get uh, traction, I think, in the, in the, what we call now the maker space. Right. Uh, with, but now, now when you scroll through Instagram, it's like just one big giant advertisement with you know, all the sponsored posts, basically. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, I have some thoughts so, on that. We can take into the after show. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's do that. Uh, um, I always like talking about that that kind of stuff. <laughs> you probably had no dream that you would be having a, a YouTube channel or or like really posting on Instagram or that it was going to be. It was it Woodcraft by Suman at that time, or was it just your name when you were posting those projects? Oh, on, on Instagram, they were just under my yeah. name. It was my personal account. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, and I think you mentioned something along the lines of uh, uh, of the ones that's publicly available. And that's a good point. I think once my channel started to kind of take off and I really kind of geared it towards you, woodworking, uh, the Instagram channel, I did remove mm -hmm. a lot of the personal elements like family pictures, family events, and all of those because eventually I realized like, right. one, I don't want that information public. Um, and two... Right. Uh, I, I just didn't think it was appropriate to keep on that platform. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. So it was a personal account initially and then it got converted. Yeah. I, I had started posting on my personal account and then, um, uh, it wasn't until I was doing a commission job. I was doing a built-in 
thing. And uh, I was posting that and then people started asking me, reaching out to me about the woodworking stuff. And I was like, I think I need to start another like <laughs> deal. So then it just, then it kind of morphed. And so I, I went that route, but I know a lot of people, they'll start with that, pro that personal account and then it <laughs> morphs into this uh, business account and it's hard to separate the, those lines. Yeah. And, and it, you know, it's kind of interesting because I don't have a personal Instagram account anymore. So folks that are in my personal life do reach out to me there. And it's kind of interesting to, I don't know how yeah. to delineate the two. <laughs> it just is what it right. is at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, I, and I think, you know, everybody that know that follows my personal account, you know, most of those people are following the woodworking one now because mm -hmm. I was posting more regularly on that exactly. one. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's it just, you know, that becomes who you are. You know, people look at you and they're like, oh, there's Suman. He's a woodworker, you know. Mm -hmm. And so when when you identify with people out on the street, do you identify as uh, a woodworker or do you identify as your profession? I generally don't identify myself at all. <laughs> I just like my name is Suman <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, and, and that's it. Like, I don't really, t unless yeah. somebody explicitly asks what I do for a living. I'm not getting into pronouns. I'm just asking. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no but I mean, unless somebody specifically asks me what I do, I don't talk about it at all. Uh, because the line is a little bit blurry in my mind in some regards, because it is hard to, to figure out because the amount of time I spend in content is insane. Mm -hmm. And so it, it definitely takes up a lot of headspace and it definitely takes up a lot of physical time. And so uh, when you compare that to my day job, they're comparable in how much time they take. So it's like, which one am I really? Um, but I guess mm -hmm. it also depends on the audience. You know, if I'm, you know, among a creative yeah. group, then I would probably lean more towards the creative side. But if more often than not, I I'm around scientific uh, folks. And so I tend to lean towards my scientific background. Yeah, it's it, it's funny um, talking to other people on the podcast and, you know, they're like their full time YouTube content creator, you know, types and stuff like that. And they have, you know, I've kind of asked them that same question. And some of them are like, oh, yeah, I tell people that I'm a YouTube uh, woodworker or whatever. And mm -hmm. people just stare at them like, what is that? <laughs> oh, yeah, I bet. So, uh, what's, yeah. What's interesting, though, is um, <clears throat> a lot of times I think my wife introduces me to other people as a like a youtube woodworker instagram woodworker of some kind and first i don't know how to respond to that um uh, because like all of this time that i've spent being and developing myself into a professional uh, is mm -hmm. not that <laughs> so, <laughs> so um it just yeah. depends we were at a wedding in uh, baltimore last weekend and the table we were sitting in had, you know, folks from various different backgrounds. And for some reason, the tone of it, one of them was working for a federal agency uh, in government because pretty close to DC. And he wouldn't mm. disclose what he does for like specifically what he does. And I'm like, mm. uh-huh, we're going to play that game. So literally everybody yeah. <laughs> around the table uh, played the mystery of, I'm just going to change what my career is as a joke. Mm -hmm. <laughs> turns, out, <laughs> turns out there was one federal agent and everybody else were doctors. And I thought they were like completely different jo jobs that they had. One of them was a mathematician. I told them I was mm. a paper salesman. Uh, I, I don't even remember. It was, it was hilarious. <laughs> you work at Dunder Mifflin? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah. What, what's, what sucks is when you get into one of those uh, conversations and then they start asking you in-depth questions on 
that type of thing. You're like, oh, well, crap. <laughs> the guy in that government agency, he was convinced I was legitimately a paper salesman. Uh, <laughs> and so he was asking me questions, you know, more in, in that line. And I'm like, I, I thought we were all joking. Like, <laughs> and eventually right. like, oh, so what do you really do? <laughs> oh, I'm a paper salesman. Yeah. <laughs> and he just lost it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then the federal agent's like, uh, I'm a YouTube woodworker. you're like i'm gonna call on that one (laughs) yep haven't Uh, seen you around buddy yeah (laughs) you're like i know that space (laughs) so so speaking of of woodworking and and kind of diving a little bit more deep into that what are like what was your first um so you mentioned like you got a, a miter saw you know uh you know those types of things what were some of the things that you, like, did you get the tools for the specific task mm-hmm. at the time? Or did do you um, kind of like say, okay, these are all the kind of things that I need? So I have uh, always had some level of a gear acquisition syndrome. And uh, that tends to apply a lot more into the photography realm than, at least as the terminology mm. applies more in the photography than it does in woodworking. Um. So when I started out, you know, that cutting board scenario that I mentioned, uh, I bought, I think I just bought a table saw, a, -hmm. like this was a DeWalt portable table saw. I bought a DeWalt router, the 611, the DW611, the the little palm router. And I bought a sander. I think I didn't even buy the random orbit sander. I bought the mouse sander, which was like one heck of a regret. (laughs) Like, I don't even know why I thought that was a good idea. Um, and so that's how I started. Uh, and then eventually just kind of, you know, bought more and more tools because I have, you know, a problem clearly. (laughs) Well, I've got a neighbor that, um, she was like, oh yeah, you know, I want to sand this, you know, project down. I'm like, okay, what kind of sander do you have? And and she's like, um, a belt sander. I, I like, I'm like, oh, that's the only, yeah, probably don't want to start with belt sander to like refinish a table. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you could if you want that rustic look. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good for pallet pallet furniture, but <laughs> yep, it it produces so, saw marks. You know, the fake saw marks just with sandpaper. Yeah, yeah. Well, people can see at your background uh, if they're watching on on YouTube or uh, on Spotify the the video. They can see your background. You got a lot of nice tools that you've acquired over the years. Somewhat of a chisel fascination. Lately, or, yeah, uh, a little bit of a chisel fascination. Chisel or, or uh, hand plane fashion fascination? Yeah, I mean, I definitely am the kind of person who uh, has a romantic view of hand tools in some regard, but also a pragmatic approach because, I mean, I don't shy away from using power tools when it's necessary. And hand tools can get you into places and precision that you actually can't get with power tools in most scenarios. So I like to use them both. But the amount of hand tools that I've started to kind of collect at this point is very much unnecessary. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're giving them away yeah. at this point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just like I, I legitimately was like, okay, can I use this as a paint can like opener instead? Like <laughs> cardinal sin, <laughs> right? Right. I, I, I legitimately thought about doing a reel and all the things you shouldn't do with the chisel and just sacrifice those chisels for that purpose. Uh, but oh, then I thought, yeah. you know, that, that's such a waste. I mean, somebody else could actually use that. Um, and so I gave it away. It would have away. gone viral. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, I'm trying to be 
what's the word? Uh, conscientious of how, what type of content I use, I, I produce nowadays, I think to some extent. Yeah. Um, because I, at least getting views and, uh, you know, and all of that on Instagram is not a priority for me. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm just, I'm not interested in going viral from misusing uh, tools like that. I'm not saying I'm not going to do it. Let's be honest. There are times I'll just do it for the fun of it. Like, but (laughs) I'm not doing it with an intent to get views, maybe just for fun. Yeah. You have, uh, you have a good following on Instagram. Last I looked, what was it? 105, 107, something like that. I think it's, yeah, somewhere in there. Thousand, by the way. Oh, really? No, 107,000 is I'm telling the, the audience. <laughs> and it's like, oh, wow, this guy only has 100, 100 followers. You're like, yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Do you yeah. know how cool it would be if you were to, you know, go anywhere and there's like 100 people to listen to anything you say? Yeah, that's crazy, right? Yeah. So yeah. I'll take 107 followers any day. Well, there's a lot less pressure and you, you can kind of just, uh, you know, do do what you want at that point. It's Not when, when there's kinda... 214 eyeballs looking at you in real life. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, you did do that. How many people were in your class at WorkbenchCon? I have no idea. I didn't look. I was just like, <laughs> so it's, so most people may not realize this. Um, contrary to my social media presence, I don't generally enjoy public speaking. Uh, it's not a forte of mine. It's not something that I practice or anything. And it's not something that I enjoy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like in my line of work, I do have to do presentations and all of that, but they're all very scientific things, you know? So it's right. very factual, very specific, very regimented. And so mm-hmm. that's easy. But in a creative sense, selling a idea, selling mm-hmm. a product or selling a process you have to be a lot more charismatic and convincing and really kind of be a storyteller and a talker, right? That's not my thing. Um, And so doing the whole talk at WorkbenchCon was uh, very much my way of pushing myself to go out of the comfort zone and do something that I'm not really into. (laughs) Yeah. Would you do it again? uh, Probably. Um, Again, because I I like to be uncomfortable. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like I, I think the most growth that we have and we can get is by being in uncomfortable places, uh, that we're afraid of because we're afraid of things we don't understand. And by doing it, you understand. Right. And so, uh, if you can be comfortable with being uncomfortable, you're more likely to grow. And so, uh, in that regard, yeah, probably, um, there is another individual, another creator on, on Instagram and YouTube, I won't do it every time. I'll do that in post-processing, post-edit. And so him and I are trying to come up with a strategy and what kind of value can we provide um, a second go around and what would that look like? And, Mm -hmm. you know, are there ways that we can combine our individual strengths and, and something that we can talk about that's actually valuable? Because... I don't want to go there, give a talk for the sake of giving a talk. I think that's mm-hmm. that's a waste of people's time. If I think that we have something tangible and useful to to talk about, then yes, I would I would be up for it. Yeah. Well, so for the audience, you taught a class at WorkbenchCon uh, on short form content. Um, I was sitting in the back of the well, I was a partially sitting and partially standing in the back of the room because the room was <laughs> packed uh, and there was no room to sit. So it was a standing room only. So kudos to you for, for doing that. <laughs> uh, it was also a smaller room, uh, which didn't help. But 
but it was there was a lot of interest in the short form content um, space, you know, because I think of you know everything happening now. That was before the reels bonus had stopped, and yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean, un- unfortunately, but YouTube Shorts are still a thing, and it's it's going mm-hmm. strong. I think I don't think that's dying anytime soon. Yeah, and one of the things that I talked about there is uh, short format is never going to be you know your way to riches, um, mm-hmm. and you're going to have to find a way to either leverage your short format content towards a product or service, or you're going to have to find a way to um, you know develop long format content, which has always been the gold standard for you know a revenue stream. So that's pretty much still true today. It's not like the Reels bonus was anything substantial for most folks anyway. Um, right. But the fact that they took it away, really, I mean, I think it changed the way I viewed the platform. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, this is a platform, you know, on Instagram. Uh, it's a platform that garners quite a bit of attention, you know, from the world's population, right? And that attention, the session time that they get is worth a tangible value, monetary and Mm -hmm. advertising value that they get due to the fact that there are people that create the content that is engaging, interesting and captivating. Right. And for them to not have anything in return and for the platform to not systematically incentivize that is absurd. Um, Beyond that, what's let's just take that. Forget about that, right? Beyond that, what's even more absurd is the fact that they don't have a strong content copyright platform, and they don't make it easy for a person, a creator, uh, reclaiming the rights to their content. Correct. Yep. Uh, it is such a convoluted and difficult process, and I know that. Uh, so I was told by a much, much, much larger channel that the the meta does have a, a way to do, I think it's called rights management or something to that extent. Hmm. And so you can sign up for it. If they deem you worthy, they will let you have meta rights management platform that you can use to more easily identify and uh, you know report the content that is stolen from you and reposted. Hmm. But why should you have to go through that? Why right. should you have to go through the verification process of, you know, meta determining that you're a worthy enough creator to do that? I right. think they should automatically make it easy. If you're the person who posted that piece of content first beyond, before anyone else, anybody else that posts that piece of content should have their account, you know, punished in some way. Right. Um, but no, the meta platform only cares about eyeballs and session time. They don't care where that content comes from. They don't care if that content is copied. They don't care about the creator. And they mm-hmm. certainly don't care about the creator enough to compensate them for the money that it is generating for them. So all of that being said, uh, I love Instagram for how interactive the platform is with the, with the followers as well as just kind of being able to uh, private message folks and all of that. So mm-hmm. it's a very inter- interactive, engaging platform to keep in touch with all of those people. Right. Beyond that, as far as the actual platform goes, I really don't like it. Um, I think Meta could do a lot better and should do a lot better. Yeah. I think if YouTube were to implement a, uh, an ability for people to do stories like Instagram has, you would see a huge shift away from Instagram and TikTok because my personal opinion, like I would, I would rather put my eyeballs on YouTube just because it's more educational and less about, you know, the random thing trying to go viral. Yeah. It's, 
you know, for me, and then I, I'm finding a lot of YouTube creators doing mo mostly stories on Instagram. And that's where you go to catch up on their day to day. And then you go yeah. over to the YouTube platform to actually watch the, the final product. Mm -hmm. You see the drafts on uh, Instagram and then you see the finished product uh, and the published piece on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, but I, I hate to break your heart, but uh, YouTube does have a story platform. Uh, you just have to have 10,000 subscribers or more to do it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Weird flex. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, but how do you watch that? I mean, that's not something that is just re readily available for, for people to watch, right? Yeah. It, it predominantly shows up on, um, I believe it's mostly mobile platform facing. And so uh, YouTube will show you the red ring or some kind of ring around it and you can see it and no personally though i think the fact that they have it is great but it's certainly not something that the platform pushes out um, right and, it, and or encourages so therefore most folks you know they'll do a story here or there but it's not one of those things that actually you know the type of content people engage with so ultimately it's mm -hmm. kind of a moot point uh, mm. but it is available and I almost wonder if they're just collecting data at this point, <laughs> right? Right, right. Um, and then find a better way to implement it because uh, that's the nature of how Google does their business. They collect a ton of data and mm -hmm. then they find the most efficient way to implement, uh, you know, a change. Yeah. I mean, the way that Instagram does it is it's nice to be able to just scroll through stories. Whereas I think what you're describing is you would have to kind of come across that creator and see that they've got a story out there. Is that right? So if you click, I, I could be wrong because I don't really watch a lot of stories on uh, on YouTube as a platform. But I believe if you go into the subscription button or this, the, the button of where you're subscribed to folks, you should be able to see all of the folks at top that has it's stories. There. You're right. Yeah. You win. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't ever look there. So maybe it's, now I will. It doesn't get the prominence that it sh uh, deserves, mm -hmm. I think. But also, because it doesn't get the views, people don't post. Um, and I think the the posts linger for longer than 24 hours. I think it's 48 hours, possibly, mm. if I'm correct. And so I think that's that just goes to show that it's not a frequently enough posted thing where even YouTube is like, okay, we're going to hold on to that for a little longer <laughs> just right. to see if other people will watch it. So, right. Yeah. I mean, even as I'm scrolling here in the top, I'm seeing... Um, even the podcast logo there, so I could go and click on on that. But so it, it's not separating it out by who has a story and who doesn't have a story. But it gotcha. it does have put that ring around it, like you said. I see. So okay, yeah. But yeah, be be. I don't know. Maybe maybe not worth it. Maybe I'm the one in one million that would actually look at it. Of course, we've no, already established I'm the guy that watches the video to the end. So. I'm obviously not what's, too smart. What's interesting, <laughs> though, is my my curiosity is why hasn't YouTube implemented, you know, the engaging, interactive nature of the likes of Instagram in their platform? And I suspect it's because they want to distinguish themselves from that platform. Um, I think they really want i don't think they want an environment that's that interactive with the creator i think they really wanted it to be the creator produces the content puts it out there and it's a data bank of information mm -hmm. it's not fast fashion right a lot of the information that you see on youtube are really slow burner evergreen content for the most part and so 
in that sense, if you have this, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. But yeah. I do think that the, it is a conscious decision. And I have to imagine that it is one. Um, imagine a YouTube creator now having the ability to DM them. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I personally would think that's interesting, but that's because mm-hmm. I'm primarily coming from Instagram as a platform and I'm used to that and, and I mm-hmm. enjoy that. But I think the legacy YouTube creators that had no interest in Instagram, they would be pretty upset if that was a yeah. possibility. I mean, there if you scroll through anybody who has a, a substantial amount of followers, they're not replying to every comment. So I can right. only imagine the amount of DMs that they would be getting. Mm-hmm. So, And also, to your point, a great point, not a bad strategy to try to separate yourselves from Instagram or mm-hmm. uh, Facebook or whatever. I mean, they they are unique. And I think, uh, it, you know, the, nobody's really super excited about the way Instagram and Facebook have been going lately. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, you, you know, I, I see Instagram as a platform in the likeness of MySpace in the sense mm. that I think it has a life cycle. Um, mm-hmm. And all they're doing right now by implementing some of the recent changes is accelerating that life cycle, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, YouTube has been one of the more original, you know, public broadcasting platform, you know, for video content. And it continues to be so, and it continues to dominate. Now, granted, they have the backing of Google, and that mm-hmm. helps. Right. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> right. helps. <laughs> right. uh, but it's one of those things that, you know, it's so integral for a platform of learning. It's mm-hmm. so integral as a platform of information. And they make it so easy to integrate those content into, you know, HTML format in another website or something to that nature. So they are a established, seasoned, legacy, you know, platform. They don't need to go into fast fashion and burn out like MySpace. Right. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't see on Instagram or Facebook, you don't see a post from generally, you don't see a post from more than a few weeks ago. So it's, it's always just, yeah, that that's the freeway version Mm -hmm. of, (laughs) of the content. So you, you talked about your earlier uh, influencers uh, when you were getting into into woodworking and, and making and stuff. Who are some of the uh, biggest influencers, not, not necessarily by numbers, but who are the people that are influencing your work today? In terms of my woodworking content? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I'm more interested in the strategy and content mm-hmm. production uh, side of things like scripting strategy, um, how to build a better script, how to build a better story, um, mm-hmm. and, and how to make a better piece of content in that regard. Uh, no shade to some of the, you know, more established woodworking channels, but mm-hmm. for the most part, they have done I mean, Steve Ramsey has innovated himself quite a bit, but most of the other folks have kind of stayed true to themselves, which mm-hmm. it makes sense. I mean, that's what they're used to. Right. But uh, newer folks come in and they're doing really well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of new content creators pop up and, and they're doing exceptionally well. And that's because they understand the current game and they understand yeah. what it takes to produce content in the current environment and how to make them the most engaging and work favorably in the way the algorithm currently works. 
Yeah. So that is inspirational to me. And it's not necessarily any specific individual. It's, you know, if somebody's consistently putting out really good content, <laughs> as in yeah. by the numbers, uh, I want to learn more about that. Why is mm -hmm. that the case? And what are they doing? And what specific strategies can I, you know, pick out by watching their content and you know and in some regards just ask them hey right i see that yeah. you're making this video uh, so what <laughs> what is what is your thought on it and you know it's one of those things like if i don't know maybe back in the day people wouldn't you know reach back to me but generally speaking i'm in a place where most folks would reach back and and they would engage in a conversation with me now and so mm -hmm. it's really wonderful to be able to do that and to get their insights and their thoughts um so I can just yeah. ask, which is nice. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And you, speaking of, of kind of reaching out to people or people reaching out to you, uh, John Katz Moses, you, you recently did that um, kind of collaboration with him and, uh, you know, just being able to uh, go out there and sharpen, uh, make have him make you work all weekend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that was... Uh... We had, so I, our scheduling had to line up perfectly for that to work out. Uh, mm. I had some commitments. He had commitments before and after. And so the only time I could have gone in was exactly during those days. And the, that's the only time that would have worked for him. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, without going into some of the personal stuff that needed to go in place for all of that to happen. Uh, he also had to have some of his staff available and come in and help film, uh, film the thing and on a weekend, which they, uh, my understanding is they usually don't do that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, getting there was a lot more than I expected because I'm in New York and he's in Santa mm -hmm. Barbara, California. Uh, Santa Barbara is a lot harder to get to than LAX <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, you're hopping on a lot more different, uh, flights to get there. Um, yeah. but all in all, I'm, I'm really glad that we got a chance to do that because it's one of those things that, you know, a lot of folks have seen the, the not a lot, few folks have seen the background of, of my shop. Uh, a mm -hmm. lot more folks have seen the background in his shop and it's always fascinating to see it in real life. It's always underwhelming, mm -hmm. mind you, like in real life, right. it is always Way a smaller down. than it looks. Yeah. Yeah. If you came to my <laughs> shop and you saw it, you'd be like, this is where it all happens. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it just, it's usually a letdown. Um, yeah. But, you know, what you don't see is his, you know, immense uh, production and warehouse and supply chain logistics capacity that he has there. And so, yeah, I can imagine to, with all yeah. the stuff he's, he's putting with out the store. all these. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so seeing that, seeing all the folks that work there to make all of that happen is I have no aspirations, you know, for that type of a business model. Uh, but it's it's a wonderful thing to be able to see and to see how it actually works and how it runs. So that was a great experience for sure. D the big question is, is did you get checked uh, at security when you were bringing all your stones through? To <laughs> no. So uh, the stones, he bought them himself. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, so you didn't bring any with you? No, no, no. So basically... Um, we just bought, you know, we had our sets and we kind of talked about like, okay, I'm going to work on a video and these are the stones that I have. And we just kind of make sure that ours matched. Um, mm. So we just bought them. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, and he's always had, I think, Shapton's. I, th I think the 30K we both bought for the purpose mm -hmm. of this video, which is a tremendous waste of money, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. it's like $400 for a sharpening stone. Like, get out of here. That could buy That's the whole crazy. set. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just buy a new set. Yeah. yeah. That's typically what I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so he bought that, and I think he bought a couple of other things, and he also bought a bunch of uh, plain irons. What you don't see is how many hand tools he actually has. Really? Uh, the dude is very well stocked. Um mm. And it's because he loves hand tools. And so yeah. um, he's got like a cabinet full of them. And so we just pulled out a whole bunch of iron from those and, and used them. Um, and that's that's how it went down. Can you churn a, can you take a cheap chisel, like a Harbor Freight chisel? Can you take a cheap chisel or a hand plane uh, blade and make it good based off black, of that if, method? If you're a blacksmith, yeah, probably. Because uh, you're going to have to <laughs> just, just make a new one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> melt it down and start over <laughs> look if if i asked you to take a uh, piece of gouda cheese and uh sharpen that into a really good chisel plane or chisel <laughs> you know could you technically you can probably get even gouda to be reasonably sharp is it gonna hold up <laughs> no i'll be looking for that video <laughs> So, I mean, it, it's, it sounds crazy, but that's a good way to demonstrate the point. That is, uh, if the iron is soft, it's soft. Um, it's mm-hmm. going to bend more and, and it's more malleable, right? And so it's not going to hold edge as well. And so you can't take a cheap plain iron or a chisel and sharpen it really, really, really well and expect it to perform. It'll perform for a very brief period of time and then it'll just get dull. And you're just going to be constantly chasing, trying to keep it sharp and all of that. You have similar yeah. problems with higher end tools, you know, with tooling steel, but they hold the edge much, much longer. And one of the things that's fa- always fascinating when it comes to doing these tests is, holy crap, these uh, these modern steel are really, <laughs> really good. Um, yeah. And so in order for me to show measurable degradation, I have to work my butt off. <laughs> like, <laughs> what people don't see is the days of hand planing and chiseling that it takes. And my arms are absolutely wasted and sore. Yeah. Uh, so it takes a lot to show degradation on those uh, tooling steel for sure. So what takes more work, uh, doing the chiseling video or doing the, uh, the parallel clamp video? <laughs> so it, it's the parallel clamp video I have been... So I recognize the the gravity. It, look, very few people care about chisels. A lot more people care about parallel clamps. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, I, and I want to make sure that the the nature of the content and how I choose to go about the testing and how applicable it actually is for an average woodworker, it all makes sense and it all feels reasonably comprehensive. Mm-hmm. And doing a test like that on something like this is surprisingly challenging. I'm done with most of the tests. There's one last one that I have left. Uh, but mm-hmm. the one of the things that I also have to remember is there's uh, my hands get fatigued quite a bit. And I'll, yeah. Because it's not just one measurement. I have to do repeat measurements to get to the same points. And so I started to develop calluses in my hands from this video testing. Wow. Um, it's a lot. And... Um, and there are some some parts of the test I'm doing it by feel. And if I'm doing it by feel, I need to have a refreshed hand. Um, right. And people don't realize that or you wouldn't think about it. But I do have to give myself a break to come back and do that test again uh, yeah. so that, you know, I, the fatigue doesn't play a role as a confounding factor in my test. So that's a great way for me to say I've been really lazy. Uh, <laughs> Well, I was I was wondering, like, if if you're doing this, um, because a lot of that is by hand, you know, when when a general woodworker is going out there, they're going, 
Yep. That's good enough. That's not going anywhere. You know, the, the boy scout saying that's mm-hmm. not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. And so you're, you're twisting it and most people put too much pressure down on the, on the clamp mm-hmm. that they don't need to and stuff. But I was wondering if, if you were going to do it like to where it's a certain amount of repetitions based on the thread count, you know, of the, the screw or, and, no. and it's hard to, hard to gauge, you know, what the, like, if I'm twisting a clamp, I don't know if I'm putting 200 pounds of pressure. Yeah. Or- yeah. And, and that's the whole point, right? Uh, and so people who are using these parallel clamps, they don't know how much force they're applying and if it's appropriate or not. And um, what I will say, though, when I was doing just the, the by feel test, like this is how much I would clamp if I was clamping and I mm-hmm. would and I did it blindfolded, you know, so I don't know which clamp I'm using. Mm. And um, all of my clamping pressure is within 10% margin of each other. Mm. So he, you can, your feel like the, you can hit pretty reasonable level of consistency um, by feel, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, that happens to be too high of a pressure. <laughs> but... <laughs> you're saying you're too strong? <laughs> no. So These muscles. So... <laughs> so Without going too much into what the video is going to be about, but there is a segment where I literally just crunched uh, human mechanics uh, research publications to better understand uh, how much rotational force the human wrist can apply. Hmm. And there was this one study that did a really good job of it, I thought. And in there, they said the average human can apply on their wrist about 85 inch pounds on uh, typically. Uh, there, hmm. There's some variations between men and women, but not by much. And so I was like, okay, cool. Can I generate that? <laughs> yeah. So, so there is a part in the video where I I'll literally say... eighty six. So I go out there and I uh, legitimately uh, test to see if I'm average or not because I am the standard in the feel category, right? So I have yeah. to demonstrate that I am average. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out your boy can do a little bit more than average. <laughs> there you go. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Got the sound effects ready to go. Locked and loaded. <laughs> so what are some of you've got, you've got that video you've got, yeah. and you started working on kind of another video in tandem. Yeah. Um, I actually have uh, four videos in tandem right now in terms of material and sourcing. Um, oh, wow. So, it's tough because I'm in the space of um, testing things and it requires me to create jigs or um, have a creative way to utilize an existing thing and and have it do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of time that is spent on trying to come up with a, how, how can I test that? And is that a good way to test something? Yeah. And then what do I need to do that? And one of this video I have is one of the, you know, with table saws, uh, table saw blades, everybody talks about what a good table saw blade is, what it should have, et cetera, et cetera. And they talk about how it cuts cleaner, it cuts more efficient. And I'm like, okay, can we throw a number at that? <laughs> you mm. know, like, can we objectively measure the efficiency of different types of table saw blades and, you know, higher end brands versus, you know, lower tier brands? And mm-hmm. what would that look like? And uh turns out, you know, I spent some time thinking about it and there is a way that I think would make good sense. Um, but the testing equipment is crazy expensive. 
Mm. And so I uh, then I reached out to some of the brands that have those products. And so I'm trying to get their buy-in to give me the products um, right. so that I can actually make that video. Now, I justify you know this as they're supplying the testing equipment, not the actual product that is being tested. Therefore, I'm still buying the product like the table saw blades. I right. think, and I think that's fair and okay. Um, so that's a video idea in the pipeline. Uh, obviously, I'm working on the respiratory, uh, you know, exposure to different types of woodworking stuff like particulates and VOCs and and all that stuff. I'm very excited about that one. I think that um, so, one's going to do well because I get a lot of questions on the laser about the yeah. exhaust and things like that. And you know, does it fill up your your shop with smoke? And how are you mm -hmm. protecting your lungs and things like that? And you don't see a lot of people when they're working at the laser wearing a mask. And yeah. so it'd be interesting well, to it's see even, that video. It's even worse than that. Um, you, you don't see people wearing a mask when they're working with epoxy. Mm. Epoxy is an exothermic reaction that releases volatile organic compounds. It just does. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so how do I show that the level of the exposure to another woodworking thing, like uh, working with the a spray finish or something like that. So I'm still mm. trying to tweak out the methodology of it. But at the end of the day, I think I'm going to recommend that it's best practice to obviously wear, you know, different types of masks appropriate for that scenario and mm. how effective are they? And I want to show that. And right. most people will just measure their ambient environment and they will say, okay, well, I sprayed this much finish in here and this is how much I'm counting on volatile mm -hmm. organic compounds. And I think that's a missed opportunity because our human lungs, like we don't take in all of that stuff. Right. And so I wanted to right. create an artificial lung chamber to actually measure and sample from inside that chamber. Uh, so it's mm. like a more realistic number. Um, right. and then I can do volumetric calculations and actually measure how many particulates you're being exposed to per unit of time and all of that. Now, in theory, I could legitimately probably do that experiment better and do a publication on it like scientific publication. <laughs> right, right. But uh, which is your your background is yeah, in yeah. that space, yeah. Um but obviously I'm not going to go that crazy because YouTube audience <laughs> doesn't care. Uh, yeah. but I need to find a I need to find an easy uh quick way to demonstrate that those concepts that's easily digestible. So that's one of the challenges that I have with that video, but I think mm -hmm. I I'm really excited for that video. It's I think I have to put in some disclosures. Mm -hmm. Um, because I am in the respiratory illness <laughs> like profession. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I have to delineate that my advice is not medical, you know, all of that good stuff. Right. Um, I was thinking is it going to about... be in like size four font at the bottom of the screen? <laughs> <laughs> It'll be like star Wars themed, but just like the last yeah. part. <laughs> <laughs> or read really fast. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, I also thought about, uh, getting a pulmonologist to do a small segment. Um, oh, wow. I don't know. I mean, like I have a pulmonologist friend. I don't know if that they would be interested in going in front of a camera. Uh, mm -hmm. And if they are, and if they're willing to risk their careers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think the, the, the statement that I wanted, that I want him to make is um, that, yeah, PM 2.5 is bad for you. That's it. And then I'm like, right. <laughs> and you don't need a f doctor to tell you that. <laughs> Google can tell you that. <laughs> Well, they could always be in the in like the they used to do those old documentaries where the person is like 
uh, blacked out or like the silhouette of them or whatever. <laughs> I always found it really fascinating that uh, a lot of the TV, uh, like a news show or whatever, they, they, they tend to do in more classic media. And if they're talking about a topic, they get an expert to do you know a segment of that talk. And it's like right. the most well-renowned person in that space usually like oh we're talking about you know brain surgery let's pick somebody from hopkins who does brain surgery and is like one of the best brain surgeons in the freaking planet i'm like mm-hmm. you don't the level of information you're conveying to a general audience you yeah. don't need somebody of that high caliber to tell you that basic information yeah. but they do it anyway <laughs> it's and like was, eight, eight out of ten dentists recommend using a toothbrush you're like who are the other two <laughs> like <laughs> i mean like they're they're talking about like yeah brain surgery is a very complicated uh, procedure no f- it is <laughs> like you don't need them to tell you that uh so i always i always found that idea funny so i kind of wanted to play off of that if uh, if he's willing to be on camera for it so we'll see yeah nice so what's the future of your uh channel like what's your you've got all these mm-hmm. videos in the hopper Obviously, it's driving somewhere. Uh, you and I have talked extensively kind of about this, but just mm-hmm. for, for the audience, like what what is your, first of all, what's your tagline? Because I think that's important for people to yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it took me a while to figure out what I want my YouTube channel to be and and uh, what my elevator speech is. Uh, this is one of the concepts that I think John from Lincoln Street Woodworks has uh, consistently tried to hammer into my brain. Mm-hmm. And that is you need to have a, a niche within woodworking and YouTube, and you need to have it something that's easily recognizable by people. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody in an elevator asks you, oh, what kind of YouTube woodworking channel do you have? You should be able to say exactly what kind of YouTube woodworking channel you have. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the biggest YouTube woodworking channels that we know of, we can tell you and summarize exactly what they're about in one sentence. There's a reason for that. And so for the longest I thought, oh, well, maybe I'll like do builds when I started mm-hmm. out. That'll be cool. It's not cool. Uh, <laughs> and then I thought, okay, well, I like jigs and and like coming up with a creative way to make jigs for things to solve a woodworking problem. Nothing wrong with that. Um, and it's fine, but I just didn't feel like it was as much me. Um, and I would try to extend myself into a jig that I normally wouldn't use or make in some regards. So I thought that was kind of mm-hmm. a failed, fail point. Um, and so it took me a while. So I, I think my YouTube woodworking channel, the banner used to be just blank. And then it was jigs and woodworking jigs and fixtures. And more recently I changed it to woodworking period tested period. And so I want to be known as the guy who does woodworking testing, like anything in mm-hmm. woodworking that you can test, anything you may think cannot be tested. <laughs> I will test it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, like f- folks talk about so many things colloquially in woodworking by their affects, like how they feel about something and what the common wisdom is. Yo, your, this is not the after show, huh? <laughs> no. <laughs> your common wisdom. I want numbers and I want objective data. <laughs> so, um, yeah. and that's the driving force. Uh, and it satisfies... Uh, an innate curiosity for me to kind of solidify all the BS uh, chatter. Because nowadays you see on YouTube and woodworking, a lot of talking head people. A lot of people talking about what they think is relevant and important. And because they have flashy lights and fancy microphones, uh, you know, they seem very important and you know what they're talking about. And generally speaking, some people do, some people don't. And, uh, And I think 
it's it's good to cut through that noise a little bit and just kind of provide objective numbers to think about. And I'm not trying to drive a conclusion. I'm trying to just provide the information. Um, and so we'll see yeah. where that goes. But that's the plan. Well, I, I will give you public credit here um, because you and I have talked about my channel quite a bit. And um, oh, you're and the laser guy. You... <laughs> So you, you and I have talked about, about my channel quite a bit. I, I did a video, I sent it over to you and you said, where's the, like, where's the data? Where's the, like, where's the, why, what's, why would I watch this channel? Why would I watch this video? And the conclusion was reshoot the entire thing, <laughs> <laughs> which I did. Now, to be fair, and, I didn't say you need to redo the whole thing. I said, this is not the, the way I would approach it. This is the structure right, right. that I would approach it as. And you interpreted that as, oh, sh I need to redo the whole thing. Which is, was, it was, that was <laughs> so a good call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, definitely good call because I think today it crossed over 68,000 or 69,000. Oh, shoot. Um, nice. Which, yeah, which is, the you know, obviously much better than the 1,000 or 1,500 that I was getting previously. <laughs> so... Kudos to you and a huge thank you to you. So I just want to say that publicly. Um, well, I appreciate and, that. You know, but appreciate I, your advice. You, I appreciate that, man. Thanks. But I, I, I genuinely have to say, at the end of the day, you're doing the work. Um, and I really, I mean, anything, I, you know, we, we talked about this in, at, at nauseum about this is just my thought and who gives a shit what my thoughts yeah. are and what it means. You know, you have to determine for yeah. yourself if that's relevant or if it's something that is, uh, you know, worth exploring for you. And that really, I wish more people said that in our space because there are some creators in our space that uh, I think have found some success and from their success, they think they have it figured out. Right. And... I don't know. I I feel like it's great. Like in your scenario that in their scenario that worked out well, but I don't mm -hmm. know that that's necessarily gospel. Um you know, like the advice that I would have given that I gave for WorkbenchCon for short format content, uh, from what I'm seeing now, that's absolutely useless advice for the most part. Um mm -hmm. at least on Instagram. And so things yeah. change so often and if I had to redo my Instagram channel again and grow it to where it is, I don't know that I would be successful to be honest. Um, and so I got lucky. I happened to be at the right place at the right time and it worked out. I don't yeah. know what that success looks like in the future. And so like, you can always try to infer things and try to do the best that you can. But for anybody to, that claims like, oh yeah, I know what you need to do. <laughs> I think, mm -hmm. I think right. generally, I think they're a little bit full of shit. Um, yeah. and so, you know, my advice to you and what we talked about, it's really all coming down from, Hey, you could present this information better. You could make this mm -hmm. more concise. You could uh, think a little bit more about what your target audience is like and what kind of information may be important to them. Mm -hmm. That's just good stuff. Like you should just do right. that period and how you go about it and what you cover is entirely up to you, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'm glad it worked out, but uh, I mean, you're taking all of the credit as you should. I mean, you should take all the credit because you've put in all the work. Well, I think, you know, essentially my point in, in that is it's good to have people to bounce ideas off of. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, I, I realized as I was doing it that I was probably relying on you too much. Like I was sending you more 
texts and, and, you know, messages probably than uh, I should have, you know, because I was really just trying to figure it out. But it is good to have a, a couple people you can bounce ideas off of. You, you were one of them and uh, Drew was one of them. And there was a couple other other folks that I was, you know, messaging just to try to figure out. And they would ask objective questions. And so I think it's good for people to have somebody who's going to provide a, a no BS answer. Um, mm-hmm. Like you've got you and 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 Scott and, and, and John, you guys kind of bounce ideas off of each other. And there's yeah. other different pockets of people who do that same thing. And it, and it those are the people I find that end up being successful. It's the people who are, are the lone rangers that they may have one, one or two videos, you know, pop off and, and then mm-hmm. that's, and then it dies out and then that's it. It's so interesting because, uh, I know early on when Scott, John and I met, we looked at the three of us and I think I mentioned we're going to be successful at some point because mm-hmm. we, all of us find a way, like we have the drive, uh, we have the passion, uh, and we want to find success. And honestly, right. if you, if you come up with if you're flexible enough um, to reinvent yourself, learn new things and implement new things and you stick with it in the long run, you're going to succeed at just about anything in the world. Um, So the same thing kind of applies here. And one of the things that we talked about is, and and we kind of took it from Mr. Beast, uh, what he mentioned in an interview at a random day point in time was, of course, I want to collaborate with other people and talk to other people because by talking to them, I can grow much faster. And the reason for mm-hmm. it is all of the things that they learned as a lesson that took them maybe months, weeks, years, whatever, they can tell you to avoid that in a matter of minutes. Mm-hmm. You don't have to learn yeah. those lessons again if you are receptive and perceptive enough to understand what they're trying to convey to you. Uh, and so this is truly the case of, you know, three heads are better than one. And so butting heads does help accelerate growth and understanding of how to make better content. Um, so yeah, definitely a good idea to have people to bounce off of ideas from and uh, have people who will give you an objective view, but it could be a biased view too. So always keep that yeah. in mind. <laughs> you know, like if you listen to everything that I, I say, your content is going to be more like my content probably. Right. Yeah. And so you don't want to do that. Uh, I think you need to maintain some level of what is uniquely yours but if you're saying it in a way and going about it in a way that's just straight up like against the core principles of what a good content should be, then people should, you know, you should go to people that will tell you like, no, that's probably not the best way to do it. Yeah, that's good. All good advice. I want to carry it over to the after show um, and talk to you a little bit more. So if if you are interested in, uh, well, first of all, uh, Suman's contact uh, information will be in the show notes so make sure you check that out um, but if you want to be part of that after show and hear what he has to say without all of the beeps uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll just go ahead and let it let it air over there uh, head over to patreon.com slash maker lounge podcast and sign up to be a patreon member on any level uh, starting at three dollars a month and so Thank you to our patron members. I want to give a shout out to our top tier patron members. We've got Jimmy McAnally, Archiana Sirio, Wim Design, Calvary Customs, LLC, Clean Cut Woodworking, Bailey Thompson, Dave Garcia, Broken Lead Woodworks, Starks Lagoon, Sawyer Design, Kadama Design, Dylan Furniture, and Shock the Fox. So thank you to those patron members and all of our patron members. 
And also thank you to Surf Prep for sponsoring today's episode. Simon, thanks for being here. My pleasure. We'll head over to that after show. Sounds like a blast. 